Hello and welcome, dear listeners. Whether you've accidentally stumbled in off the digital highway in a drunken stupor, or you're deliberately following the antics of the Madam's cast and all of its wonderful guests, either way, you're welcome. And so is everyone else in between. Please pull up a chair, sit down on a comfy sofa, drive your vehicle with care, whatever it is you're up to, relax, listen in to what we've got to say, enjoy the conversation and see how it affects yours. This week on the Madam's Cast, a week, this week, this month, this episode, let's go with episode, this episode of the Madam's Cast, I have an interesting guest, uh, and I always say that, I always say they're interesting and exciting, but that's because they generally are. Um, now, Anisha is a guest who sprung up on my email inbox, and alarmingly, I hadn't heard of any of her projects, and now I do know about them, I feel like I have just not been paying attention properly. But to start with, I thought it was all a big hoax, because her name, when she appeared in my email inbox, was A Mystery. And I was like, hang on a minute, this is this is a gag. Is that a problem you've had before, Anisha? Oh my God, yes. Yes. The amount of times people have written my name, as in A Mystery, with the actual English way of spelling it. And they have said, is this a joke? Yeah, unfortunately, my initials um, are quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. And wait, actually, it works. I think it works in your favour because people immediately Google you to make sure that they're not getting scammed in some way. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> yeah. So, Anisha, can you, you know, I mean, it's difficult. I don't want to, I don't, I don't need a potted history of your life. I mean, although that would be great. What we want to know uh, here at the Madam's Cast the listeners and I, is why you're a guest on the Madam's Car. So why are we having a chat? Can you, I think you'll say that better than I will. Okay, awesome. Well, um, I think we've connected for our love of food and sustainability. And, you know, as you Googled me, you will have found out that I'm an editor for Food Unfolded. And it's an online space for food like food un unraveling our food unfolding our food and you know kind of telling people the future of our food the story about the past the present the future and how it's into intertwined with our lives and societies because that's what people want to know nowadays and you know that's something that the two of us share and and it's why we're like you know i'm on your podcast yeah. Talk about food. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. <holding> food. <laughs> so, so give us the website again, just so that people can go and scope it out straight it's, away. Um, it's foodunfolded.com mm -hmm. and it's by, it's funded by the EU, the European Union, and it's one of their big initiatives. Oh, can we still get um, it in the UK? Or do we have yes, to... you can. <laughs> just you checking. Can. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully they've not blocked you, but yeah. Not, <laughs> like... not yet another casualty of the disaster. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Well, that's that's great. I like that. That's some good chat. So, like, immediately I want to know what was the last article you commissioned slash authored slash edited and why should we read it? And then I also want to know in a minute, how you ended up being an editor for Food Unfolded. I mean, that's that's interesting. Definitely. So the last one I did was about desertification and I got to edit it and it was absolutely incredible. So does anyone really know much about desertification is the thing. So it's a vicious life cycle between land degradation and climate change. 
and how it's affecting food production. Like, is it a threat? And people think that it's a misperceived natural expansion of deserts um, on once fertile land, but it's our modern world that's affecting agricultural land and soils around the globe mm-hmm. and what co- what causes soils to degrade and what it led and what could oh, sorry what could it lead to if desertification is not addressed so i want to leave it there because it's a, like i'm hoping people go what is desertification and what are we doing um because <laughs> the article's amazing you know they talk about dry lands they talk about overgrazing deforestation land abandonment climate change it's a fantastic article to read brilliant and, i'm gonna um, go and read it you should definitely. i will i will <laughs> I, i'm assuming that desertification is not the presence of too much custard <laughs> no but i hope so that should be another movement of ours <laughs> <So>. <laughs> definitely. Excellent. Excellent. so how did you end up doing this thing how did you get to uh a you know sort of how did you get interested in unwrapping food and working out where we are with it and and then how did you end up sort of editing online articles about it because I I think that's an interesting story we'd like to hear. Okay so basically long story short was I studied food since GCSEs um, so I've always been interested in it Um, and growing up in like a South Asian environment a lot of food that we had on our table was from literally from the raw ingredients and the story behind it and why special seeds were used for special dishes because Mm -hmm. there was a purpose for your body. So that was interested me. And then, you know, after graduating, I started writing for regional and national papers about wine Mm -hmm. and chocolates because I did food appreciation at university. So Mm -hmm. wine is amazing. (laughs) So everyone needs a glass of wine these days. So, um, yes, I did that. And then, you know, my journey somehow, you know, so I wrote for lots of publications across the globe. But then somehow my journey took me to writing for the European Union Intellectual Property Office. Uh And that's when it struck me thinking a lot of businesses in food that work in areas that protect the environment are not aware of the tools available to protect their land or protect their business. So from this, I got to co-author a book called Wine Law and Policy. And I my chapter was based on Barola wines with another friend of mine. And on there, we spoke about how climate change is affecting the soil and fertility of that soil. Um, fertility, fertilization, bless you. Um, fertility, but yeah, like the like how the wine is changing because of climate change and because Barolo wine is so expensive and a very niche wine production. It's it needs to be it, it needs to be savored basically because it is under threat. So we wrote about that. And then after that, I did lots of stuff within the EU, you know, so I did some consulting for um, the EU Commission, the the European Union, and then it led me on to Food Unfolded because I did some work with them. And from there, you know, became the editor because my experience in technical writing and becoming an author just kind of felt like the right step because, you know, as a mother, I want to kind of teach my child about conscious decisions, although he's only 18 months, but I hope um, the work that I do has some impact on him for the future as well. 
Amazing. That's a great story. And I also, you know, I think you can have soil fertility. I'm going to let you have that. Oh, uh, uh, thanks. Without, <laughs> without, without fertile soil, we're, <laughs> we're, like... we're knackered. Um, okay, brilliant. Great chat. I like that a lot. So um, that's filled us in. We, I now know who you are better than ever before. And the listeners <laughs> have got a, a grasp on where you're coming from. That's perfect. Can you please... Get ready, because you are now about to have the ability, like uh, like a genie in the desert, you're about to have the ability to change three things about the world of food, and we'll just change them, okay? We'll discuss okay. the issues with changing them in the real world, but you can just change them for, the, for this brief moment in this fantasy land. You just get to wish it right, okay? Or wish it okay. your way, and then we'll chat about what impacts that might have or whatever, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But you've got three things to change about the world of food. You're not allowed to have extra things, although lots of people seem to sort of cram them in. But, you know, try and stick to three if you can. I'll, I'll try and keep up with my note taking and I'll okay. ask you some questions along the way and get you to give us some examples. Are you okay. feeling prepared for that? I think I'm a bit nervous, but go on, let's, let's <laughs> try it. <laughs> I feel well, like that TV series, was it Mastermind or the, the guy that the person's in the black chair and it's firing questions okay about, well yeah. any any listener out there now is laughing because they're going well you're really not on mastermind if you're hanging out with tim so don't, <laughs> oh don't worry about that okay anisha no dramas on that front your specialist subject is not in question okay so um so without further ado what's the first thing that you would change about the world of food if you could change anything what would it be i think it would be reconnecting people with their food like the empowerment of changing our food system for the better be because I think because nowadays we're so conscious about where our food comes from especially millennials but sometimes I feel like you know there's this whole movement of avocado it requires so much water and you know it's not good for the environment but if you put it in context to you know nuts nuts require a significant amount more and I think it's good to weigh up the pros and cons for people to go you know that's just avocado but have you thought of other food produce in the world that requires a lot more maintenance and is it healthy for an environment because a lot of these sort of topics don't hit like the magazines or they're not online or there's no discussions about it because you know, a lot of people aren't aware about it. So I think it's good for reconnecting people with their food and the journey that it takes to be on your supermarket shelves. That is brilliant. And uh, really well thought out as well, actually. I think it's some sort of bar chart on the back of a product that said, this is how far it's traveled. This is its carbon consumption. This is its water consumption. That would be way more useful to me, I think, yeah. and to a lot of people than what its calorie content is and how much salt's in it you know 100%. that, that yeah. you know is important information and shouldn't vanish from the packet but i would i would like that that would help that would really help people to make more educated decisions on their food purchases and avocado is a brilliant example was i was chatting yesterday to a very interesting lady called gina at the glasgow school of art up here in um in murray in northeast scotland where they have a uh, um 
a, a little campus and she was talking about a piece of art that someone had done that was a scientific inventive art and they'd okay. created an avocado that wasn't made of avocado the skin was wax and the, the flesh was made of beans and the stone was made of something else and I was like, well, what's that about then? She said, well, really, it's, it's art. So it's meant to make you think about where your avocados come from and what is an avocado and why do we like them and all of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, she said, but it's also quite interesting because, you know, is it a product? Is it an alternative? Could you have an eco avocado? And I just looked at her and she looked at me and she went, yeah, I know exactly what you're going to say, which is if you don't want to eat avocado, just have something else. Just eat the beans, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. um, and we got chatting and she um spent some time in South Africa and she said, well, in the right time of year, you get these massive avocados and there's a massive glut of them. And we were like, I don't understand why at the certain times of year, what's happened to the seasonality? You used to be able to just buy apricots when they were in season in Italy or Spain here in the UK. And now mm. you can buy apricots all year round and most of the time they're a bit rubbish. And I sort of thought, yeah, maybe if they were just coming by boat for two months of the year from somewhere where there were too many of them, maybe that would just then become the most environmental thing to eat, most, most environmentally friendly thing to eat, rather than us worrying about which farm it's come from, which country, you know, who picked it, who packed it, what's the air miles, has it come by boat, has, what's its water um, signature, all of that stuff. It's such a, a minefield. Okay, no, but I think that's true because, you know, when you said like, because I've just heard what you said and then you're talking about the packaging, you know, a lot of people... In, in reality, if you're not working in the industry, a lot of people don't understand those color charts on their packaging, mm -hmm. right? So they'll see it and go, oh, okay, perfect. This is healthy. But do they actually know how healthy it is in in proportion to the amount you're consuming? Yeah. Um, and do we offer, you know, available options, like better options to them and maybe having... A color, you know, when you said color chart, yeah, I think that's way better than the calorie intake because then people can put it in context and it's a simpler format of informing people um, about food or alternatives or you know, in comparison to what they prefer, they would prefer. If I'm making sense, yeah, yeah, you are, you are, you are. You know, so. For those people who are not in the loop, what is the what is the issue with avocados? Because I think lots of people think, well, avocado is totally fine. We can just eat avocados. I mean, it's just a vegetable, right? Yeah, but I think the problem with avocado is it requires an, a, a crazy amount of water, like a crazy amount of water. But in comparison to nuts, it requ nuts require double, if not more, than yeah. avocado. But I think the problem is it's so expensive to make. And because it requires tropical climates, humidity, yeah, a lot. This is curious. The avocado that you get in the Mediterranean. So you know, living in Granada, we have it all year round because we live on the Costa Tropical. Yeah, but we have the natural resources to grow it. But when you have to ship it over to the UK, you're not getting the fresh produce. It's the flavor is significantly different. Mm. It's, the texture is different. The flavor is different because it's being picked when it's not ripe yeah and it, so that what you're getting is a, a standard product so is it worth sending is it worth producing that much avocado for different markets because you're not enjoying it in its true form like it and the way it should be eaten because it's costing more to get onto your plate yeah, there's a wider point on seasonality there as well, yeah, isn't there? Definitely. That's, that's fascinating. Okay, so nuts. I mean, this was one of my instinctive issues with um, 
with nut milk yeah. replacements is you know you're shipping water about the planet in the first place instance and then also you're very often irrigating a, a desert to grow almonds or whatever it is um yeah. and i think the temptation there is to think well okay i'm a let's say for example i'm a person and i'm standing i'm thinking right do you know i've heard a lot of stuff about cows being terribly bad for the environment so i'm going to make a choice to remove dairy from my life now, i'm not saying you've got a, if it's different right if you've got a medical condition or something and you and you you can't have dairy that's a totally different thing but you're then like okay well what are my options because i want something to fill the milk-shaped hole in my life right yeah. and you're you're like oh okay well, i'll get oat or i'll get almond or i'll get this and you probably try a few and you try some hemp milk or whatever and you'll settle on one and you use that yeah. And I'm not sure the thinking necessarily goes any further than that. And I wonder, and I don't know if you're the person to tell me, but I, I would be really, I would really like a definitive, and maybe this exists on your website, but it'd be really nice to have a place where I could go, okay, I live here. I've got two choices of milk. I've got cow's milk from down the road, or I've got, you know, or from, from where I live in terms of the county or the, the region of the UK, or I've got almond milk. Please compare the environmentals on that and tell me which I should be drinking. That would be a really helpful tool, wouldn't it? Oh, God, you've like answered two of my questions. So they're not published yet, but I've been editing two articles. One of them, they'll, they will be published in the next couple of weeks. One of them is based on the title, How Much Are Cows to Blame for Climate Change? Yeah. And the other one, <laughs> it's about almond milk. The new milk alternative is not plant-based and the truth behind almond milk. Oh, so you've just opened a can of worms there, like Pandora's box. And I think the problem is a lot of people see cows as a major factor for um, carbon dioxide and methane and what have you. Well, there's a reason for that, isn't there? I mean, I think there's been quite a lot of misinformation uh, about that. And I think there's also a lack of understanding the difference between a cow that's grazing on grass yeah. in the middle of a grass-covered island in the northeast Atlantic, yeah, and a cow it locked, you know, in a feedlot or grazing on soil where the Amazon used to grow. I think there's there's different. I mean, you can't just have an a uh, cow, can you? Just like you can't have uh, an almond milk. I mean, there must be an organic almond milk that is produced in a low impact way and shipped over as a powder and then mixed with water once it makes it here. I mean, there must be someone doing that. But I just, yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Oh, I'm looking forward to those two articles coming out. But it's curious to say that because, you know, a lot of people are like, we can't, you know, we can't, you know, the the cows are roaming free and grazing Mm. and they're used for dairy produce, you know, milk, cheese, whatever. Yeah. But those cows are generally happy like because their their life is just you know you're not locked in a industrial building um you know they're grazing and those cows are there and if they're not milked it's bad for them because they're there to produce yeah. you know um it's the same thing with a woman breastfeeding if you stop breastfeeding like that you know your breasts hurt because it's unhealthy, it's painful, and you can get infections. It's exactly the same with cows. You know, it's, they're there for a reason. And, yeah, yeah. you know, there's a way of respecting the animal as well as enjoying its produce. If, yeah. 
Yeah, I think you're right. And I mean, obviously, they wouldn't be producing milk unless they'd been mated and had calves yeah. to produce that milk. So, and then you get that argument, which is, you know, that you shouldn't be doing that anyway, uh, which is, you know, is, is probably a personal choice for people. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I think I fall fairly firmly on the ground that says, well, you know, as long as those male cattle that are born that are surplus to requirements within the dairy industry. Yeah find them find their way respectfully into the food chain so that there's not a huge waste of that then i think i probably fall on the i'm going to stick with local milk camp definitely but but you know everyone's got to find their own choices haven't they and uh, you know that's why the madam's cast is here because it's all about discussion well um point one i feel like i've i've (laughs) shoo away from the microphone and shouted my own ideas at each (laughs) other I believe it too so it's good that we're on the same like I love the discussion because I think a lot of misinformation is out there and people only get one half of the story and that's one of the reasons why I work for Food Unfolded as well because we give all the arguments so people get all the facts and it's for them to you know understand the food system better brilliant brilliant Okay, I'm going to move you on to your okay. second second thing you're going to change about the world of food. And I'm going to try and shut up a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you're going to love this one. So, okay, I believe in local sustainable food. And when I mean that, what is British food? You know, what is Spanish food? And I think what I'm trying to get at is... Um, because the world's become global, everyone travels, everything's international, you know, we're forgetting provenance, we're forgetting local produce, because, you know, although we travel a lot, we're not actually eating variety, if that makes sense. So, for example, I can get a fantastic curry in the UK, I can get a fantastic curry in Spain, not so much, but, you know, in India or somewhere, I can get curry everywhere and most likely the spices they're using are from the same supplier you know Mm. Uh, but you know what happened to like cherishing local produce you know back in the day uk food was amazing i love i love british foods i love the fact that everything was made with you know butter fat lard you know um we had yorkshire puddings we have you know, stews, but a lot of people forgetting that when they come to the UK, they want to try everything that's more international because there's more migrants in the UK, you know. So it'd be nice to embrace local food because lots of crops are becoming extinct and we are eating to extinction. Oh, it's not to go on about Dan Sildine as yeah. well, but it's right. Like, you know, we're eat because... You know, for example, wheat, we eat four types of wheat, but there is like thousands of varieties of yeah, wheat. Yeah. So in, and because we're international and consumerism becoming so big, well, it's, 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 it's crazy huge. Demand can't meet, like, you know, demand and consumerism, it's not, it's just too much, it's imploding. And I think it'd be really good to think back and go, what is local produce? How can we save something that's unique and natural to each other's countries to embrace you know proper food from that country yeah and then that's not to say that you can't enjoy 
you know, curry is a great example, isn't it? Because, you know, if you sit down to make, and I know that curry is, is not the right term, you know, specifically for a dish, but let's just, let's yeah. just use it for now. If you were to sit down and say, well, I'm going to make a curry, but I'm not going to go off and find these vegetables that are in the recipe. I'm going to just substitute the vegetables that are in season near me. Mm. Well, that's exactly how that curry came about, right? The reason it yeah. exists is because somebody sat down with a heap of spices and a, and a bowl of local produce yeah. and combined them together in a way that they felt intuitively would be delicious. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, and, and so I don't see those those boundaries to that, you know, um, I think in, in the way that a lot of other people do. I mean, it's sort of you get people going, yeah, but I've got to have fresh mango for this. And you're like, it's not mango season. And they're coming yeah. from, you know, I don't I have nothing against mangoes coming on a boat in the peak of mango season when they're absolutely mega. I mean, I used to live in Walthamstow. We had an incredible Turkish supermarket at the end of the road and various um, Asian communities living in the town. And the uh, quality of ingredients available was amazing. But they weren't there four weeks later. You know, and you'd ask the guy on the on the vegetable stores, oh, where's the, where's the mango? And he'd go, you don't want mangoes at the moment, mate. And he'd be like, brilliant. That's what I want to hear. Um, so it's interesting, isn't it? That I think every culture has that. And yeah. yet we seem to be constantly trying to erode it. And I don't think anyone chose that. I think that's just been put upon us a little bit. Yeah, I think, availability. So. I, I, I think availability and I think supermarkets control a massive part of that. Because um, I have so many things from so many different countries that I think without us knowing, it has been pushed onto us indirectly. But it's cleverly done, I think, you know. But I think it'd be good for people to embrace, you know, provenance with the food that they want to cook or to eat because I think you know like you know I have to say like living in Spain I get quite tired of the whole stereotype of going oh my god the UK is only famous for fish and chips and I was like you have not got an idea about you know going to the lakes or going to the peaks or going to the southwest of what we have we have an amazing array of seafood and shellfish and you know being surrounded by cold, oxygenated water, our seafood is so sweet. And a lot of people don't embrace that. The one I get, I don't know, tilapia from the Indian Ocean, it's like, why would you get that when you can have something so delicious on on your actual, like, on your borders, like, you know, on your island? And I think, you know, I think people should be, just embrace what their terrain has, you know, to offer and use it to their lifestyle, yeah, you know? yeah, I think that would be really good. It's yeah, it is. It's really interesting, and it is. You, you, you're uh, an erudite, educated woman, and you've struggled to put that into words. It's a really difficult thing to define, it is. isn't it? It is. I've, I've tried for a long time to find a simple way of putting that that doesn't sound, you know, condescending, patronising, or complex, and it's really. It's really difficult. I think you have to just forget about all that and go, right, this is what I'm saying. And and, and I think you've done that really well. So thanks very much for making but that point. Could we call it, considering our last chat, do you think we could call it counter cuisine? 
like going back oh <laughs> yeah 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 okay okay well, you've, you've whipped that term out on me again okay we're gonna have to do hold on we're gonna slip into some kind of inter-podcast vortex here so yes uh, for the listeners of the madams cast who maybe don't know this uh, we were going to come to it in a minute anisha as well as being the editor uh for food unfolded has a podcast called naughty bites um which is uh, uh i don't know I, I, I wondered if the title was a bit misleading. I, 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 was, I was a bit like, I'm... what genre is this podcast in? <laughs> yeah. but, but that's, it says more about me, maybe. <laughs> but I think because, like, the first question always is, you know, what's your guilty pleasure? But I think because this season I've related it around food and identity, a lot of people have been giving me their naughty stories about, you know, their food, you know, their food background and something that they wouldn't have shared normally they do share um but basically what happened is Tim and I had this conversation about the emergence of um localness and you know how valuable it's becoming as an attribute and supporting natural food small farmers and shorter food chains and people are conscious of foods that are unhealthful and unethical for the planet and there's a return for home cooking. So then we thought, oh, you know, could this be called counter cuisines? Because people are wanting to embrace food close to their surroundings. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's a great term that you've coined. I like it. Um, <laughs> and uh, was it you? Was it yours? Is it yours? No, I read it on one article when I was doing something on ResearchGate. Okay. And I was like, oh, so I want to read more about it. But when I read the paragraph and the chapters around it, I was like, could this be called counter cuisines? But it's not a known thing. It's not a known term because the article oh, already came out a couple of weeks ago. Quick, quick, quick. Get onto Wikipedia and register it. And then it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> crush, crush the author under your editorial heel as you, as you stride forward with it. No, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting for me because that is a, it's, it's a useful term, mm. but in a way, I'm not. I don't feel entirely comfortable with it, and I'm not sure no. why. I'm not sure why. I need to think about it a bit more. I think because it doesn't embrace. It's, I, I think it's a good term, but I don't think it embraces what we're trying to say in its entirety. You know, in terms of localness and consciousness and and everything that surrounds it. I think there's something missing. There's a bit of empathy messing in the term, I think. Yeah, a little bit, a little yeah. bit. I think maybe that's what it is. And and it sounds a bit revolutionary, which I think will put people off. But it's, you know, from a writing point of view, it alliterates beautifully. So let's go with that. Yeah. Um, one last thing on, on that then. Can you give us an example of a counterculture that you would use, you know, something that you would describe as a, as a, as a counter cuisine, as it were? Spanish food. Okay. Definitely Spanish food. Um, it's really curious because a lot of people don't know this, but when they think of Spain, they think, oh, it's, you know, I want to have a paella or patatas bravas or sangria or whatever it is. I've never had a sangria here because a typical dish is tinto de verano, which is a summer wine. Uh-huh. Um, but the reason why I say Spain is one of them because every food is regional here so what yeah. you would get in andalusia or even like in within the provinces within andalusia you would not get in murcia for example or you wouldn't get in galicia 
it's so regional um and there's different like like the uk there's so many terms for like bomb cake there's bap cob like what have you it's the same it's the same concept yeah yeah but but what i find is that people here young students love international food so they'll get it from the major cities but they embrace the localness of food as well more than myself growing up in the uk you know i've got to learn that a lot of people embrace local food cuisine and also seasonal food and a lot of people don't know that but it's a massive food here is life and culture and they embrace food within the seasons and i think i would call them Celtic cuisines Definitely. awesome awesome so really the Celtic cuisines we we're saying is 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 the older stuff it's a sort of like it's it's a reverse it's a reversion it's a return to to tradition definitely because it's curious curious, a lot of people now cook with olive oil but sometimes i love cooking with olive oil because i'm you know i'm here and it's healthy and all of that jazz but you know when you make pastry you need a bit of butter you need a bit of lard like otherwise it's not the same and you know people shouldn't be scared of it you know if you use it in moderation it's brilliant but we're not saying eat fat or lard every single day. You know, it's 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 needed for certain dishes to give it its flavor, its texture, its it, its um, comfort. You know, and its calories. It. You know, I mean, ultimately, yeah. you know, the reason that pastry exists is it's is it's staple foods mixed together yeah. in a way that in a way that suits. You know, it's calories and carbohydrates mixed together, the slow and the fast release to give you the energy you needed to get through the day. And they, they could both be stored. You know, your flour could be dried and ground and kept in an airtight container. And your yeah. fat, once heated and rendered, as long as it was kept somewhere cool and away from pests, would keep all the way through the winter, no problem. And that's why okay. pastry blooming exists. It's the whole point of it. So trying to make yeah. it low fat and, you know, whatever, strikes me as slightly thing. insulting to pastry itself. You know, you just don't have pastry. Now have an omelette instead of a quiche. <laughs> Yeah. Or just a salad, if yeah. you're possibly have a lettuce leaf. But it's true. But you know what I think I don't understand? And it's curious because my husband's now a celiac and was well, been a celiac for like, oh, okay, the last decade. Yeah. But why is it in the industry, if you are gluten-free, they also omit lactose, any form of dairy? And it's yeah. like, I'm not intolerant to dairy. So when yeah. you're having the pastry, it's really like, you know, it's really frustrating that, you know, the industry have put it together as opposed to keeping it separate. Two reasons. To, Number one, laziness, because they can then call it free of, right, or yeah. whatever brand it is, because yeah. then it's suitable for both gluten-free and lactose intolerant people. Um, and 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 also um, because they're being tight, because it will be much cheaper, um, not only to create one product instead of two for specific dietary requirements, but yeah. because buying palm oil on the international market in bulk will be much cheaper than buying half the amount of butter and half the amount of olive oil so it's just you know ultimately price comes into that and i think the joy for me would be to say okay get a buy a really good gluten-free cookery book select some grains you want to use and and make your own pastry but life is not always that straightforward is it (laughs) (laughs) all right okay Okay, I'm pontificating again. Let's go for number yeah. three. What's your third and final thing that you can change about the world of food today? Um, people and food. So in one word, communities. 
I think food's become a thing where, you know, it's rushed, you know, your lunch break, I want to sit and eat at my desk. I think we've lost the I think our lives, like our livelihoods, our lifestyle has taken away the enjoyment of eating with other people, you know, during your working day. I think people should take that one hour or that, or you know, or 30 minutes and sit away from their desk and share the food experience with somebody else, you know, have a conversation, um, enjoy your food, relax, get away from that screen. And, you know, communities, I remember growing up, Doors used to be open to the neighbours. You go to your neighbour's house, you share food uh, and vice versa. They bring it over. If there was a surplus of, I don't know, spinach that, you know, for the season, you share it amongst your neighbours. And I think that essence has slowly is slowly dying out. Don't get me wrong, people in the allotments always share their food with each other. Or, you know, if you have a really good neighbour, you'll share a cake or whatever. But I think what society used to be it would be amazing to kind of embrace that again because there was a lot of happiness around food because when you eat something, you go, hmm, that's delicious. Or, oh, have you tried this? Or have a bite. You know, it's that interaction around food and yeah. pleasure. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That'd be, that'd be one thing as well. My third thing, so yeah. Brilliant. And does that exist in Spain? Do you think, do you see people, I, I mean, I always think it's more of a rural thing uh, that it struggles in urban environments, but I did see a bit of it going on in London, as you say, specifically yeah. around urban farms and um, yeah. and allotments. But I wondered if that was, you know, still in evidence in Spain. I know when my parents lived in southern Italy, there was very much a food community in the village, and they all sort of got together to do stuff. But I just wondered if that was the case where yeah. you are. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, there's a sense of. I think because here, like food is so important, and they make time for food. It's 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 like it was like what UK used to be like in the sixties. I'd say it's 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 that whole thing of um, embracing food, and everyone shares everything. So you know, my son's nursery, the grandparents of the parents, you know, they bring. Oh, I have got fresh tomatoes. I'm bringing it for the children so they can have it on the toast with olive oil. Or if I've made, you know, lots of cake for a recipe, I'll share it with, you know, the cafe or the greengrocers or the nursery or whatever. Like people do share. And my neighbour, when she makes stew, I always get some because I love it. So it is that whole thing that people do share food with other people. And it's a a connecting experience. I think it's overall, or it occurs to me right at this moment, that it's overall that these places where that happens people just hold food in greater regard they don't see it as kind of a disposable necessity yeah definitely and the thing is as well i like the fact that food isn't wasted so if there is an abundance of it it's like no let's share it you know and i think that's what i like because i hate food waste i hate it um but this way if you do make something in a batch you do get to have pleasure in it with other people have you read Tristram Stewart's book on waste, uncovering the global food scandal? It must no, be. I, mean, a, I have bought it, but I haven't oh, okay. read it yet. So I'm still going through Dan's book because, yeah, reading and having a child takes uh, <laughs> a backseat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember that was when I started getting into audiobooks, actually. <laughs> I should get I should invest in them. With, 
with noise cancelling headphones you can't hear the squalling and uh, and you can still keep up with your books uh, whilst whilst you know mopping the child and looking after it and all the other stuff too okay fine that's possibly the worst parenting <laughs> tip i've ever given anyone and uh, a horrific <laughs> glimpse into my parenting style but there we go um okay that's one of the last great freedoms of the planet is you're still allowed to bring up your children in the way you see fit um okay okay all right well that was a great chat and and three if not more but three certainly great topics discussed covered chatted um about you have three remaining tasks before okay, you're allowed out of the madam's cast you have to choose a food book that you would not be without you have to choose a drink that you might drink whilst you were flicking casually through it and you have to nominate a future guest of the madam's cast are those your three remaining tasks do you feel okay. up to them i think so okay <laughs> um okay the book i could not live without Oh, I can't choose to. I remember you, you have to. This. You okay. have to. Okay. I know well, it's it really be... hard. It's like choosing your favorite album, but you have to choose just one. Okay, I would say. Um, oh, oh god, this is hard. Okay, um, a feast of Floyd. Oh. Yeah, I think it, oh, I don't know. Was it in the nineteen eighties when it came out? Like yes. the nineteen eighties. So it's very old and it's, it's super old. But um, a feast of Floyd, because I think he would be the best person to have on a dinner table. Um, the book's been nominated before, actually. That's I think that might be only the second time we've had a book come up more than once, uh, and that's so that's quite interesting. He would have been an amazing character to have at a supper table. We certainly cared about food, didn't he? Oh God, yeah. It was. I think the one thing I loved about him, it was so adaptable. It's like he didn't he didn't need it didn't he didn't need a kitchen. It will literally oh you know a rickety table, a wonky table you know, a hot plate, a wok, everything yeah. there, and not forgetting his glass of wine. <laughs> and, <I> just, <laughs> like, and he'd be slurping and splashing. And I think that was one of the, like, you know, I have a few favourites in the, like, you know, that I admired growing up. And Floyd was one of them. Like, Keith Floyd was just, he was like that jolly grandfather that introduced you to food. And he was just, yeah, I think his recipes are so without any difficulty it's just what you see is what you get and that's what i love about it because i have some of his other books as well and the, the methods are just so fantastic and easy to follow and um, yeah and i think also he just nailed i mean he nailed food tv as well as you possibly can nail it yeah. and then sort of did a mick drop and wandered off <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> And it's like you've done it. You travel the world. You show people versions of brilliant dishes. You're cooking yeah. curry in India. You're cooking this over there. You're doing that yeah. there, and it's all awesome, simple to do. And you're enthusiastic about it. Yeah. No, I, no fancy production. Just great chat. And it was so humble. Like I think as well. Like one of the things I loved about him as well is like when he did go to different countries to learn about their cuisine or cook in their garden or on the side of the road, he he was never pretentious and he was just honest. Like, you know, even if he made a mistake, it's like, oh, well, it'll taste fine. You know, it was the whole thing of just respecting other environments and cultures and learning. He was also willing to learn from other cooks or chefs or, you know, housewives. It was always, he always embraced it. And that's, you know, and that shows in his recipes. 
Yeah, you never know where you'll find good food, but you can definitely tell where you won't. Okay, (laughs) Um, brilliant. That's a fantastic choice. We'll sling a link to that up in the the show notes, no doubt about it. We'll pop a link to your podcast and your website in there as well. What drink would you... I think I I might know the answer. (laughs) (laughs) What what drink would you drink while you were perusing that? Okay, well, as you know, I love wine. Um... And my friends did say to me, Anisha, how are you going to handle being pregnant without your wine? I went, I know, it's so hard. So I'm going to do, I want to be cheeky. There's two drinks I love the most. And there's a cocktail in the north of Spain from Asturias. Uh, And this this region is famous for its apple. So cider, it's a place to have cider. And it would be, it's actually called Sidra Sangria. So it's apple cider sangria. You've got to try it. It's absolutely delicious yet deadly yeah so it's got a whole bottle of cider a whole bottle of wine a lot of apples and a a little tipple of i would say it's like a cross between soda water and tonic okay um it's it's not sweet it's not bitter but it's really it's like refreshing sparkling water with a bit of taste to it and you mix it all up and oh goodness it's delicious it's absolutely delicious. It's my favourite. So that sounds yeah. great. You gotta try it. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm literally. <laughs> I'm just sort of wondering whether I've got any cider in the cellar. Yeah, I mean that sounds fantastic, and I've never heard of it too. So that's brilliant. I love it when I find out something new. So that's great. Try it. Yeah, I mean that's that's amazing. Oh, oh yeah, I, I'll try it. I'll try it carefully. Um, it sounds like rocket fuel. And uh, final task then before we boot you out. Of the Madam's cast, you are allowed to nominate a future guest of the pod. So you can, you know, we've had people who are alive, people who are dead. I think the last nomination um, was was for Dolly Parton. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure she's going to come on, but I'm going to write to her and tell her the story behind why I'm asking her to come on, and we'll we'll see. Um, okay, we'll see. Awesome. So, you know, you can be pretty wild with it. Okay, I would say... Oh, God. Wait, wait, wait. This is hard. This is hard. Give me a moment to think. Okay. It's like a yeah. pause for thought moment. Yeah. yeah um, okay, I don't know if you've heard of him. I was going to say Keith Floyd because I don't think he'd actually be talking. You'd just be drinking. But, <laughs> but I think... Okay, I think... As an Indian actor, he's he, he's like in India, he's God because he's God. Like I remember being in India many years ago and like breaking news, and the guy's called Amitabh Bachchan, and actually his daughter-in-law is one of the L'Oreal models, uh, Ashwarya Rai. So she's always at Cannes and stuff. So you may recognize his daughter-in-law more because she's always on the billboards and stuff. But him because he loves dancing. The guy is in his late 70s. He's been acting for, I don't know, 50, 60 years. And he'd be a really good uh, guest to have because I think you'd be dancing and partying. Nice. Yeah. Nice. You're going to have to you're going to have to spell the name there. I will like... spell it for you. <laughs> <laughs> but he was God because in basic I think he had a cold or something and he went breaking news. Under the budget's come out of hospital. And I was like, how is that breaking news? But <laughs> <laughs> I was like he just had a cold. But yeah, no, literally the, the guy is like royalty in India, but 
he's an amazing actor and one hell of a dancer. So I think you'd have a blast with him. Okay, it's a great nomination. And, uh, Definitely. <laughs> disappointingly unlikely to attend, but you never know. You never know. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Oh, well, Anisha, it's been fantastic chatting to you. You too. Um, it's been a blast. Outside of your professional, or maybe inside of your professional sphere, do you have an, an Instagram account or a Twitter account or something? I do. It's um Instagram account is Anisha Mystery, spelled M-I-S-T-R-Y, not as in a mystery, um, Fernandez. Okay, excellent, excellent. Well, we'll find you over there and and check you out. Thanks thanks for being a guest on the pod. That's Um, amazing. Keep keep up the great work. Can I just give you a little, sort of a little big up? I think what you're doing is fantastic. Um, Thank you. I can't, I can't recommend having a little wander around that website enough to anyone that's interested. Go and read some articles, have a little think about some stuff. It can only improve your life. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing. Brilliant. Adios. Adios. (laughs) Bye.